You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction. Sorcerer of death's construction. In the fields of bodies burning. Machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World this week Broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite Listen to the Anarchist World this week Australia's sacred cow, Slaughterhouse Listen to analysis of local, national, international events analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program comes to you from the studios of Melbourne's Community Radio 3CR. The program is produced by Kelly Whitworth, and I am the puppet at the end of the string. Now, I've got an interesting program. Well, I think it's interesting. You may think it's boring. If you think it's boring, you know what to do. Turn it off. But you can always access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. My name's Joseph Toscana. So if you've got any complaints, send them to me. Um, okay, now, I'd like to start off by mentioning the West Papua Rent Collective. The West Papua Rent Collective was formed seven years ago. Its primary aim is to, well, its only aim is to pay for the rent of an office in Melbourne in the Melbourne CBD in Collins Street for the West Papua Independence Movement. Since the transitional government was established in West Papua over a year ago, um, the West Papua Independence Office has taken on a new, more important role, especially in negotiations with the United Nations Decolonisation Committee and their struggle to be placed on that decolonisation list. It's one of the few colonies left on the face of uh, the earth. Our job is to pay the rent. We don't tell the West Papuans how to run their struggle. That's their business, what tactics they use, how they organise their office. What they do is their business. For a reward, we get three, three meals a day. Uh, no, a year, not a day. Uh, we have a, a number of gatherings at the West Papuan office, which we haven't been able to have this year, apart from you know Zoom presentations, but hopefully at the end of the year we'll be able to have a rent collective due. But we are still short of members. We usually need about 70 members to cover the costs of the office. Where currently we were 20 short. We've picked up eight in the last few weeks. We need another 12. It's a dollar a day. If you want to join the West Papuan Rent Collective and annoy the Australian government, the Australian opposition, the Indonesian government, the Indonesian Secret Service, the Indonesian Armed Forces... Well, this is your chance, and you can do it anonymously. You can do it in a number of ways. You can go to the Federal Republic of West Papua website, have a look at how to join the Red Collective. We don't keep any, um, unless you want us to, we don't actually keep any details. You can do it anonymously through a, a branch of a major bank here in Australia. 
you can do it once a year or you can do it every month. Uh, it's voluntary. We don't hassle you. We don't ring you. It's all based on a volunteer system and it's worked very effectively over the last seven years. So if you want to join the West Papua Independence Struggle and assist them in their struggle for independence against the Indonesian authorities who have been basically guilty of, uh, I know it's an overused word, genocide, when 500,000 people from a population of less than a million have died in the last 60 years as a direct result of the Indonesian colonisation, I think that um, could mean genocide. So if you are interested, as I said, you can go to the website or you can leave a message on 0439 395 489. I'll get back to you and send you the necessary material or you can send me an email at info at anarchistage at yahoo.com. Okay, so it's very simple. We need another 12 members. Not only do you get a warm glow in your heart, you get a chance to go down to the office, you can volunteer, and you can come and join us for the festivities at the end of the year and get a three-West Papuan meal. Let's move on. Now, some interesting news. Now, I don't know how many people know about the Autonomous Administration of North and East Syria. Fortunately, we've been have had some contact with them over the last uh, four or five weeks, and there is a new uh, program on Community Radio Free CR called Posts from the Autonomous Administration of North and East Syria. We have here we have five million people living a radical lifestyle, trying to create a new society which is not based on the concept of a sovereign nation state, in the midst of the war zone, hemmed in by Turkey on one side, Syria on the other. And, a, uh, and an unhelpful uh, Kurd-dominated government in the south. This is a coalition of people of all religious beliefs, Kurds and uh, Arabs. It is a honeypot for refugees from the region who are in the middle of a war zone. They are still being bombed every day by drones, basically from Turkey currently, but we've been able to form a link and we will be presenting posts from the Autonomous Administration of North and East Syria, not just news and analysis, but actually talking to them about what they're hoping to do, how they organise, how they are turning things on their heads in this part of the world. And let's not forget, these are the people who through their bravery stopped the march of Islamic State. They lost almost 20,000 young people in that struggle in a period of a few months and continued to be under enormous pressure. So if you want to understand the philosophy, the strategy behind this type of radical society, I encourage you to listen to posts from the Autonomous Administration of North and East Syria every Thursday for the next 10 weeks, starting this Thursday, the 1st of October, midday to what? 30th of September. Yes, my apologies. The 30th of September is Thursday. I get confused. Every Thursday from the 30th of September, you can listen to it on the Acting Up channel from Community Radio 3CR, that's 3cr.org.au. The program will also be podcast through various radio stations through the Community Radio Network. And if you can't access it, you can also always go to 3CR and uh, listen to the podcast. Now, the first podcast is a little bit rough and ready, but 
we've got a little bit more sophisticated with our connection because this area is in the midst of a war zone almost 10,000 kilometres away. We are a community radio station, not the uh, government-gilded ABC or a private corporation with unlimited funds. But this is one way of understanding what's happening there. So beginning this Thursday, midday to 1pm, go to Community Radio 3CR 855 on the AM dial. And if you can't access 3CR through the um, Community Radio Network, you can always go and listen to the podcast. Let's move on. I'm still waiting for a few more Eureka Australia Medal nominations. Now, people have asked me, what, what's the Eureka Australia Medal all about? Well, about seven or eight, could have been nine years ago, we were sickened by some of the people which were um, getting Australian, Australian honours. And the fact is that if you receive an Australian honour, you can only receive it on two days. Invasion Day, the 26th of January, or Queen Lizzie's birthday. Now, what a day, what days to receive an Australian honour. And obviously most of the people that listen to the Anarchist World this week, even if they were offered one, would refuse. But the Eureka Australia, Australia Medal honours people who've done the hard yards, who've done the hard work, who've been activists all their lives, who've never received any recognition, who, whose activities mirror mirror the sentiments which are expressed in the Eureka Oath. We swear by the Southern Cross to stand truly by each other and fight to defend our rights and liberties. So if you know somebody who's worthy of an Eureka Australia medal, even if they have died, right, who may have lived an exemplary life as an activist but was never recognised, well, then you send nominations. We don't accept phone nominations, but you can send nominations to Post Office Box 20 Parkville 3052 or you can send nominations to info at anarchistage at yahoo.com. And nominations close in the middle of November, which is only six weeks away. Um, what we need is the person's name, a paragraph of two or a few sentences about why they should receive an Australia medal, Australia Eureka medal. And more importantly of all, we actually need a contact point so we can contact them to see whether they, they would like to receive that medal. So think about it. I'm sure everybody listening to this program knows somebody who's done the hard yards but has never been rewarded for the work they've done. All right, that's the um, advertisements. Let's move on. Coal boy embarrassed. Hmm? Remember when our beloved dear leader, Mr Scott Morrison, was a humble cabinet member and he walked into the Australian Parliament with a lump of coal saying, look at this. This is what we're all about. We're all about making a buck from increasing greenhouse emissions. And we don't care what happens to anybody in the rest of the world. Now, poor old Scotty, going down to the USA, speaking to Mr Biden, giving Mr Macron, you know, the cold shoulder, or is it the other way around, Mr Macron giving Mr Morrison the cold shoulder, has now realised, has now finally realised that Australia cannot keep closing its eyes. We cannot keep closing our eyes to the climate emergency. Even the Chinese have clambered on board and they're uh, 
I think the second biggest emitter. It could be the biggest emitter after the United States of America. So it is an extraordinary situation. But Cowboy's got a problem. He has to convince the dinosaurs, and my apologies to any dinosaurs listening to this program, in the National Party and, the, and, and sections of the Liberal Party that climate change is real. The climate emergency, it's real. And it's occurred because of human activity over the last 200 years since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. That it has a profound impact on the world's population because, see, the climate, CO2 emissions and COVID-19 have one thing in common. They don't respect national borders. They don't care. They don't care. And people say to me, well, you know, well, we may as well, you know, just continue the way we're going. And this government has had a policy as selling us the last ticket and the last train to hell as far as the climate emergency is concerned. I know it sounds a bit melodramatic, but the interesting thing is they put up this bullshit about it's regional people who don't want any change. The people who are specifically demanding change is regional Australia. Maybe people in urban centres have got a philosophical push towards the climate emergency, dealing with it. It's the, but it's people in regional Australia, National Party, Heartland, who are bearing the direct effects of climate transformation. Not climate transformation that's going to occur in two months, but something that's been occurring now over the past few decades in this country. And we see it every summer. So Colboy's got a problem. He needs to go to Glasgow at the big meeting at the end of November with a little piece of paper from the Australian Parliament or his party saying, we will do something about it. We will, you know, get rid of emissions by 2050. Most people are saying 2030. And he can't even get that through the hard heads in the National Party and the hard heads in his cabinet and on his back bench who still believe the shit, and I hate, you know, to abuse shit because shit's very important. You don't shit, you die. The shit that comes out of the Murdoch media around the world about the climate emergency being some left-wing plot, that it doesn't exist, that human beings have not contributed to increasing greenhouse emissions and increasing temperatures around the world and major changes to the Earth's climate. I mean, these people should be sued out of existence for what they've done, not only just over COVID-19, but over the climate emergency. So Colboy has finally come to his senses and he's realised that that piece of coal he was holding in his hand a few years ago wasn't you know, wasn't a good look. And he wants to strut Australia on the world stage as some type of, you know, military power of nuclear capabilities. Strut the world. So he'd like to go in November and be patted on the back. But he's not going to go unless he can convince the fossilised dinosaurs 
in the Liberal and the National Party regarding the importance. And you know the way he's doing it? It's very interesting. It gives you an insight into the type of government we have. It's fascinating. Now, most people say we have a climate emergency, temperatures are increasing, it will have a profound impact on the population, the climate will change, there'll be more hurricanes, more floods, blah, 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 and that we need to change in order to save humanity, Okay. But no, not Scott Morrison. The way he's selling this is he sees the transformation from coal to a non-coal-driven energy system as a financial and economic opportunity. That's right. He's trying to sell it to his mates and made S's in the Liberal National Party as our financial and economic opportunity. We can make money out of this. He has realised we have lots of sun and lots of wind. He's just finally realised it's a financial and economic opportunity because he's seen around the world even the Chinese government is refusing to lend money to coal, new power, coal, new, new coal-fired power stations outside China. He's seen it as an economic and financial opportunity, not about an opportunity to uh, help the people of the world and Australians overcome the worst excesses of a climate emergency, but it's a financial and economic opportunity. It really highlights the fact that this government, and to a significant degree, the Labor Party opposition parliamentary agenda is not set by their rank and file, not set by the party, not set by cabinet, but the parliamentary elect agenda is set what is good for the corporate sector. What is good for that 1% that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication? What is good for the 8% of, Austra- 8% of Australians who have disposable income to invest in the taxpayer funded, you know, through through um, franking credit stock market and the overheated housing market, again funded through negative gearing. That's what this government is about. That's what the opposition has been driven to accept. Because if they want to be re elected in this country they need to count out of that 1% that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. Well, we don't count out of them. We don't even bend to them. We don't even doff our cap to them. They are the problem. And Parliament has become a problem because it's been hijacked by their agenda, an agenda which is based, as I keep saying week after week, on privatisation, deregulation, corporatisation and globalisation concepts which have been shown to be totally wanting during the COVID-19 pandemic. Think about it. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Toscano. I'm hosting today's program. Now, if you want to leave messages, and I don't answer the phone, I get... The battery ran out yesterday. There were so many calls, all right? But if you leave a message, I always answer within 24 hours. So it's 0439 395 489. You can go to the YouTube channel, 
public interest before corporate interest. Facebook pages, uh, public interest before corporate interest, Toscano for the public, Joseph Toscano. You can go to um, websites, pipsy.net, anarchist age, anarchistmedia.org. And the list goes on and on. There's plenty of stuff on the net if you want to follow it regarding the, the ideas which are spruced on this program. And obviously this program is is a podcast at 3cr.org.au and it's uh, transmitted across Australia of other community radio networks. There's also other programs like Radical Australia and the list goes on and on. But the key is, look, you can listen to as much stuff as you like, you can do as much analysis as you like, you can read as much stuff as you like, you can watch as much stuff as you like, you can get involved in so many battles on social media about inconsequential things or consequential things, but the reality is that change comes from action. And public interest before corporate interest was formed a few years ago in order to bring people together who wanted to create a new society based on egalitarian principles. So if you're interested in public interest before corporate interests, and we we are not just a political party, we are also a movement which is based on direct action, community boycotts, strikes, and the list goes on and on. I suggest you look at the website pipsy.net, pipsy, P-I-B-C-I dot net, P-I-B-C-I dot net. Enjoying. Look, I'd like to thank all those people who've been joining over the last few weeks. Unfortunately, because of federal government legislation, the number of people which is now required to register a federal political party has increased to 1,500. Our current membership stands at around 470. But we have a large number of people from Victoria who are in public interest before corporate interest because that's where it was formed and that's where most of our activities has been. And if we can get to 550 within the next few months, we'll be able to register as a state-based political party in Victoria and then use that registration basically as a bridge to reach a 1500 uh, membership. So we ain't going away. And we're not going to kowtow and we're not going to kneel and we're not going to nod our head and we're not going to take doff our hats to that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. So ultimately it's up to you. It's not up to us. We do what we can. We're all volunteers. Nobody gets paid a cent. I don't get paid for going on the anarchist world this week. I've been doing it now for almost over 40 years, I think 43 years. You don't get paid. We all put in our labour It's uh, and our thoughts and our analysis and our ideas and it's the same with public interest before corporate interest and the Anarchist Media Institute and everything else that I'm involved in, always based on volunteer labour. It doesn't take much to join. It doesn't cost you anything. And you won't grow a tail, but you may grow horns. You're listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. Look, I'm so proud. I'm so proud to be an Australian today because Australia is punching above its weight. And when you've got a boxer who's punching above their weight, well, it means they're extraordinary as far as their strength is concerned. All right? Extraordinary. All right? Extraordinary that they want to punch above their weight. But I'm so proud to be an Australian today. You know why I'm proud? 
because there are over 205, I think, sovereign nation states around the world and one autonomous administration in North and East Syria. And guess what? We've got 25 million people in Australia from a population of about 7.5 billion around the world. And we are so good. You know why we're good? We're the 15th biggest emitter of carbon dioxide, greenhouse emissions in the world. We may have 15, uh, 25 million people, but we're the 15th biggest emitter. And then it gets better. When you add our exports of coal to the rest of the world, we have jumped up to number five. The fifth biggest emitter of CO2 in the world. And if we try really, really hard, we may even win the bronze medal. Extraordinary. Extraordinary how this country is punching above its weight when it comes to CO2 emissions. We should be so proud of ourselves. I'm proud. I hope you're proud. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the... Community Radio Network, it's always a bad look to laugh at your own jokes, you know that? It's always a bad look because if you've got to laugh at your own jokes, it means other people think they're boring. Okay, housing crisis. Amazing, isn't it? COVID-19 pandemic, minimal immigration, borders closed. Guess what? Housing prices go through the roof around 20% in regional Australia over the last 12 months at about 10 11% in the rest of the urban centres. Housing going, prices going through the roof. And we've got all these things, you know, we've got low interest rates, government initiatives, negative gearing, investors are pouring back into the market, prices are running, this fear of missing out when you're looking for a little... You know, shack, a roof over your head. And there's people talking about let's let the Reserve Banks or the APRA, the Regulatory Authority for the Financial Sector, set some new boundaries regarding lending limits. And let's do this and let's do that and let's do this and let's do that. But nobody mentions the most simplest, easiest solution to escalating housing prices. And although two-thirds of Australians either own or are paying a mortgage for the privilege of living in a house somewhere, the fact is that escalating housing prices are really bad for everybody because these people have got kids and grandkids and they're never going to be able to enter the housing market unless you want to, uh, you know kick the bucket a bit early and ensure that your kids get uh, get what what you've got in the uh, in the in the in the litter <laughs> kitty litter I was going to say but it's a simple thing now everybody talks about competition in a capitalist society but there is no competition in the housing sector it is a privately owned industry construction Selling, buying, 96, maybe 97% of 
of all housing is in private hands, and one third of that housing actually belongs to the banks, which and you're paying that off over 30 years if you're lucky. So how do you introduce competition into a privately dominated housing market? Very simple. And if I can think about it, and other people can think about it, I'm sure it's so simple that people don't even actually understand. Increase public housing stock. I'm not talking about... I'm not talking about community housing, affordable housing, social housing, which are all names for privately owned housing, which may be, in a significant number of cases supported by federal and state governments. But the fact is it's private housing. I'm talking about let's resurrect the public housing sector in this country. And the way you finance the public housing sector is very simple. Ever heard of stamp duty? You buy a $600,000 home, you'd be paying about $35,000 stamp duty. The Victorian government, I'm familiar with the Victorian government figures, but obviously there are figures around the country regarding each state, raises anywhere between 5 to $7 billion per year from stamp duty, which is levied on houses as well as industrial buildings. But we'll just look at the housing section. Let's say $5 billion. With $5 billion which is invested in public housing, if you set a billion dollars aside for uh, repairs and maintenance and infrastructure and paying the public service, which will actually look after that sector, and say there's four to five billion dollars left, you could spot purchase almost a 100,000. That's right. You could almost spot purchase almost a 100,000 buildings or units within a decade. That means you could put almost a million people in public housing. And the beauty about public housing, if it's spot purchase, which means not everybody with you know lives together in, you know, huge high rise estates, but spot purchase regional centres, you know, purchase property and then manage it on behalf. The government manages it, charges twenty five percent rent. So it's based on 25% income and it provides security for especially people who cannot ever afford to put their foot in the private housing market. It provides security in terms of the schools their children go to, the friendships they develop, the sporting clubs they become members of, the associations and groups they become members of in that community. So increasing public housing is a win 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 win, 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 win situation. I'll tell you why. One, improves children's education because of stability as far as access to education. Two, it ensures that people's housing needs are met by only using 25% of their income. This frees money to be used 
in the private sector to buy goods and services. So it actually is a stimulus for the privately owned economy. Stimulus. Increased public housing, it is a stimulus to spending. It means decreased crime. It means stability in the housing market because the more people that enter public housing, the less demand for housing in the private sector. Less demand. Less demand for housing in the private sector. Prices stabilise and even drop at the lower end of the market, allowing younger people to enter the market and buy in the private sector. And at the same time, as the stock increases in the private sector with an increase in public housing stock, what actually happens is that rents stabilise and may even decrease in the private sector. So I said before, it's a win-win-win situation. One problem. One problem. Over the last four decades, we've gone down this privatisation pathway. We swallowed hook, line and sinker the concept that if you deregulate, privatise, globalise, corporatise, that the society will become richer, we'll be able to buy three television sets instead of one, a more fancy foldable phone or something. The reality is the other way around. The rich get richer, the poorer get poorer, and the middle class gets squeezed. That's right, squeezed. Fees, charges, it goes on and on and on and on. So I keep saying... Public housing is everybody's business. It is a win-win situation if we increase public housing and it can be easily funded by diverting stamp duty revenue from the sale of homes into the public housing sector. It can be done anywhere in this country. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Now, problems. Now, before the COVID-19 pandemic, the public hospital system was overloaded. But over the last few days, we've been hearing dire warnings from an overstretched public hospital sector, an overstretched ambulance sector, that is a problem. And the problem is very simple. As the amount of vaccinations increase in the community, and they will increase to 90, possibly even 95% over the next 12 months, the country will be opened up. As the country is opened up and restrictions decrease, and this is over 80%, What we'll see is what we've seen overseas is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. So as the number of people who are unvaccinated, who are not vaccinated, decreases, it puts them at increased risk of catching COVID-19 because, say, 80% of the population are vaccinated. Now, obviously, when you get to 95%, you get herd immunity, and that small percentage that doesn't want to be vaccinated is protected, and that's why I'm vaccinated. I'm vaccinated to protect myself, my family, my friends, the health system, because I'm a doctor. I'm vaccinated 
to protect all those who don't want to be vaccinated for religious or philosophical or political reasons when we reach herd immunity. But there is this interval where there will be increased pressure on overloaded public health system, not just in terms of COVID-19 patients, but in terms of all the other medical issues which continue to grumble on. Cancer, cardiovascular problems causing strokes and heart attacks, diabetes causing gangrene, other infectious diseases, childhood diseases, surgery, necessary surgery. And while we've got COVID-19 dominating the public health sector, what means there is less resources, money, and most importantly of all, trained staff. And that's the key about hospital work. You have to be trained. I was trained for six years before I was unleashed on the public, and then I did another six years training so I could work in a particular field. You don't produce nurses by putting people in a ward and saying, nurse. You don't produce good paramedics by putting people in an ambulance and say, go pick up this bloke or this woman. You don't even produce good people to answer phones in emergencies when you dial triple O without training and there is a lag time. So, obviously, it's one thing saying to people, don't overload the public health system, but if you're sick, you're sick. There's so much a general practitioner can do. There's so much, you know, a health worker can do. Ultimately, in a society like Australia, where we've got an ageing population who have got multiple comorbidities in the midst of a pandemic, you need the infrastructure and resources and the training to actually be able to provide the service. There's no point berating the um, paramedic who turns up 20 minutes after the call to find, you know, your mother's dead on the floor. No point. It's not, not their fault. And there's no point berating the overworked accident emergency staff when you've been waiting six or seven hours to get some type of attention. There's no point. These are structural political problems because we are not willing as a society, we have been too gutless and weak as a society because of the type of governments we continue to, to elect who are nothing more than puppets for the parliamentary puppet masters, that 1% that own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication, to demand well-funded health resources at all level, whether it's at birth or aged care. We've been happy to see the privatisation by stealth of large segments of the public health sector. We've been happy to see that. And we've been happy to and shrug our shoulders when governments say, where's the money, boy? Where's the money? Well, it's simple. It's like the public housing debate. And this is what I find extraordinary about broadcasting year after year after year after year after year on the anarchist world this week. This is not a complex debate. 
We don't need to have a PhD or a doctorate of medicine. You don't need to go to a university or even high school to understand economics. When the rich get richer during pandemic, when the government gives $13 billion away to corporations that don't actually need that money during the pandemic and has no mechanism by which to claw back that money, when we produce billionaires every year because we give them access to this country's natural resources, expecting them to pay us back for employing a few people and paying a little bit of voluntary taxation. No wonder there's no money, boy, for the public health sector. No wonder you wait and wait and wait and wait and wait and wait and wait. No wonder you see ambulances up to 17, 20 ramping up outside hospitals. And it goes on and on. Because we allow it to happen. We have allowed this to occur. Because we have forgotten that everything we take for granted was won through struggle. Medibank initially was introduced before it was the name was changed to Medicare. I think it was in 1974, after a long prolonged battle to ensure we had a universal health system which allowed everybody, irrespective of income, to access health care when they needed it. But we've forgotten. So what's my solution, you say to me? Boy, boy, what's your solution? Well, it takes a bit of guts. It takes a bit of political manoeuvring. It takes a little bit of backbone. Maybe they're not the type of stuff I expect Morrison or Albanese to grow overnight. But it's about ensuring that this country's resources are used for the benefit of the people of this country, First Nations people and the rest of us. Not, not to fatten the wallets of people who are already billionaires. So what am I proposing? Well, Simple. Very simple. Very simple. What am I proposing? Any corporation or company that has a turnover in the natural resources area of more than $100 million, and most of the big ones, are we're talking about billions and billions of dollars, they pay a royalty of 50% on anything they extract, and if, not, if they're not willing to pay that royalty that business is nationalised without compensation. Still be plenty of profits for them and their shareholders, but at least some of this money would go back to the Australian people to fund an underfunded public health system. Now, if the people of Norway, a capitalist country, can do it, why can't we do it? Why do we allow the Clive Palmers of the world to manipulate the political system in order to see their little mates be re-elected so they can continue to dominate the rape of this country's natural resources. Why do we allow this to continue year after year after year after year? Because you know why? Because social media goes up so many bloody rabbit holes nobody actually looks at the important issues anymore. 
right? The Murdoch-dominated media and the rest of the government guild at ABC and the corporate-owned media, well, they are part and parcel of the problem. They spew out the same garbage week after week, year after year, decade after decade, telling us how it will be the end of the known world if somehow we forced through legislation through parliamentary... I'm not even talking about revolution. I'm talking about simple parliamentary legislation to actually cough up a bit of the cash they've squirrelled away from exploiting this country's natural resources. Because you've got to remember, and this is what most people don't understand, anything under the ground does not belong to you. It belongs to the Commonwealth of Australia. And the Commonwealth of Australia is not even willing to compensate this country's First Nations people, let alone use that wealth to look after the interests of the rest of us in this country. And then they say, well, we can spend $250 billion on some nuclear submarines which will be out of date by the time we get them because we're now fighting a proxy war with China on behalf of the United States of America. We're not, we're not an independent sovereign nation state. We're just basically an, an extra you know, pimple in the United States' uh, derriere. Not an independent country, setting our own agenda, trying to make alliances with the people we live with. I mean, I know I've gone off subject here, but it's, look, you live in a neighbourhood, right? You can create a fortress around your house and everybody hates you. Or you can try to get on with your neighbours. That's life. It's the same with Australia. We're either part of Asia or we, or we get a huge tugboat, big saw, attach Australia to the, you know, to the tugboat and tow it up to the Northern Hemisphere and join it to the United States of America. Come on. Obviously, you can't do that. So we need to, obviously, make accommodations, not create Fortress Australia, which is not good for anybody. Not good for anybody. But, as I keep saying on the Anarchist World this week, it won't happen in a vacuum. And unless we as a people are willing to think outside the box get organised, get involved, forget about the peripheral issues. There's a lot of peripheral issues at the minute. People are willing to, you know, to die on the cross for all these peripheral issues. The main issue is wealth. How's wealth created? How it's distributed? How decisions are made? How's power exercised? These are the issues that have bedeviled human civilization, human groups since the beginning of time. And what do we do in the 21st century? The most educated people in the universe, in the history of the, you know, of planet Earth. The most well-off people. The healthiest people. What do we do? We regress. We give up our capacity to do anything. We believe you can't fight City Hall. We believe the propaganda that you can't change things, that it's even impossible to even attempt to change things. And this is, a, this is a, an attitude I've come across for decades now, and it's getting worse. Social media makes it worse because people somehow think 
you know, if you've got a thousand followers or if you've got this or you've got that, you, you've got clickitis on your forefinger because you've agreed with everything, you've gone down some stupid rabbit hole that somehow the universe is going to change for you. It's not going to change for you. It changes for you when there are feet on the streets. And obviously, people like me at this point in time have decided that the health of the community is paramount, that we need to stare down COVID-19, but we haven't forgotten that this struggle involves participation. So if you are interested in legal, moral, ethical activity, I encourage you to join Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, pibci.net, P-I-B-C-I.net. Download the application form if you can't, Access the application form? Well, you can always leave a message on 0439395489 and I will send you out a copy. You can write to me at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052 or you can go to the email info at pipsy.net. And if you're a member of another political party and you think somehow that holding on and trying to reform the ALP, the National Party, the Greens, whoever, that it's going to change. Well, it's not. It's time for a new kids on the block. Kids who are willing to throw stones at the tent and are willing to go inside the tent and dismantle the tent from inside. And that's what public interest before corporate interest is about. We are not tied to the ideology of the past. We're not crucified about taking a particular strategy because it was used in the past. This is the 21st century. Things have changed and we need to change. You listen to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. And if you're sick of the sermon, go to another radio station. Life's too short to waste time listening to things that are not going to really, you know, affect you. Let's move on. Auto, now, there are, I'm going to say th- three things, and I'm going to give you another simple solution. I keep saying, life is simple. Solutions are simple. Getting there is very difficult, exceptionally difficult. But intellectually, solutions are simple. But obviously, to get there, you've got to overcome inertia. You've got to overcome fear. You've got to overcome cultural inhibitions you've got to overcome inhibitions because power is concentrated in fewer and fewer hands and there is a cost there always is a personal cost to taking that path but the more people take that path for radical transformation where we share power and share wealth the less the cost per individual Because ultimately, as I keep saying, it's our acquiescence that this is the way life is and nothing will ever change which allows this to occur. To be pessimistic, to be depressed about the situation is just what those who exercise power want you to be, powerless. I'm going to use three words. Automation, family, community violence and the climate emergency and job losses, okay? How do you cushion these three things? Through the introduction of a universal basic income. A 
and how do you fund a universal basic income? 1% tax on stock market turnover. You could raise 25 to $40 billion per year. 1% tax on financial transactions. You could raise 120 to $150 billion per year. As I said before, this country's natural resources, 50% royalties. They don't want to pay 50% royalties? Nationalise them. Any company with over a hundred million dollar turnover, put them, you know, put them in the firing line. You solve the problem of automation because it means as more and less workers are needed because of automation, people can live productive lives because there's a universal basic income. You help, you help to address the problem of family and community violence because you give people a mechanism by which to leave an unhelpful, a difficult situation or a violent situation because they've got financial independence through a universal basic income. And as far as the climate emergency is concerned and job losses, well, a universal basic income helps to cushion, cushion the fact there will be job losses with transformation from a coal-based economy to a wind solar economy. You've been listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by, through the uh, Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. It's been a pleasure talking to you because you haven't been able to respond, but I'm sure you will respond. You can respond in a number of ways. You can go. You can leave an email at info at pipsy.net, info at anarchistage at yahoo.com. You can have a look at more of the same by going to the YouTube channel, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, Facebook pages. Um, Joseph Toscana, Toscana for the Public, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, Facebook page. You can, there's all the other things, you know, who knows what they are, but they're all there out on social media. But if you're not interested in social media, you can always write letters. I received three today. I'm so happy. You can write letters to Post Office Box 20 Parkville. 3052 Post Office Box 20 Parkville 3052 Don't forget that you've been listening to the Anarchist World this week courtesy of the Community Radio Network across Australia, north to south, east to west and around and around. You've been listening the program is podcast, you can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au I take any responsibility for any electoral material during this program as the election phase is almost upon us. Thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. This program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. That's 3cr.org.au. Listen in. Next week to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. And if your local community radio station doesn't broadcast the Anarchist World this week and you're a member of the Anarchist, you're a member of the Community Radio Federation, knock on the door, give them a ring, email them and say, why don't you broadcast the Anarchist World this week? It's about time we listen to some viewpoints which we don't actually ever hear in the other media, the government, ABC and the corporate-owned media. Thank you once again listen to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday 
Listen to The Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, larger! The media in this country, we as Indigenous people know, have censored our right of telling the truth and the truth is what this country is most fearful of, in particular Indigenous truths. Until history is told by the vanquished lens, which is our people telling our story our way, and have the right to be able to incorporate that into a system of learning, well, people are always going to be denied that truth by deceit and lies. When you look at the type of psychological warfare, spiritual warfare that Aboriginal people are caught in, it's not just in the sense of military when they talk about weapons of mass destruction, but you're right, it's in terms of the media and the industry of media as a warfare against our people, and so is religion, I believe, in the Western sense. They're, they're all weapons of mass destruction against our, our people. We need to keep Radical Voices on air. Subscribe now. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 8377. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.